Chuck Swindoll tells a story about uh, putting together a toy for his children at Christmas time. And those of us who are parents remember some of those uh, ordeals. And he had worked most of the night, and uh, dawn was fast approaching, and, it, and he realized that uh, he needed to find the directions, okay? And that he'd thrown them in the trash. And so he pulled them out, and he read the first line of the directions, and some sarcastic sage who was... Uh, in charge of these directions, had written in very small print, now that you have made a mess of things, please start over and follow these directions. And I just love that in terms of the bit of a little bit of sarcasm and cynicism that is built into that and knowing our predisposition to want to run things the way we might want to run things. And I think most of us do operate from our own and I would say comparatively to what the scripture will open up for us again and again even though many even of us as Christians don't see it is that we, we are preoccupied with our own small print. And I think that maybe it goes something like this. I can do this by myself. I don't need divine help. Okay? That might be one way. And you know what? There might be a lot of things you're, you're able to accomplish without divine help. But I'll tell you, there's going to be some times and some times coming where it would be, you'd be mindful if you paid attention to the divine help. But maybe another way we could say it is I can do this by myself. I don't believe in divine help. And we certainly are at an age and a stage and a culture where millions and millions of people are coming to this conclusion in one form or another. And then maybe some of us, those of us who have been around the faith a little longer, might say it more like this. Well, when all else fails, then I will pray. Now, there might be a few other ways of going about it, but I could think of at least these three right off the bat. Jesus had a different approach, and these, the disciples in our passage have already committed to Jesus, and in fact, committing to Jesus means that they are already committed to going to the cross. He informed them back in chapter 9 that this is what's up. We've got this journey to Jerusalem, and it's not going to end well. Now, whether they understood it or not, I don't know, but my point is they are serious learners. The ones who are following him at this stage are serious about their faith and about learning. And that's what the word disciple means. It means to be a learner. And as learners, they had recalled how John had taught his disciples to pray. And so they asked Jesus. And it's one of the only things I believe in the Gospels that is asked of Jesus by the disciples. Will you teach us to pray? And Jesus' answer makes me think again that the disciples need what we most often need, and that is a reset. 
we need to get back on track. And I'm saying that whether maybe you got back on track this morning. Well, you probably need to get back on track again because it just doesn't take long for us to get off track and need to get retracked. To get into a better frame of mind, to, uh, I don't know exactly how we might say it, but I have, in a sense, have an old-fashioned message in that it's got three, be, three points, okay? And they're, they all begin with the same letter. I mean, this is old-fashioned preaching for easy memory this morning. And we're responding to the question, now that I've made a mess of things, how do I get back on track? And I want to suggest that the first thing this passage teaches us is that we, uh, number one, address God as Father. The text says, after they ask him, how do we pray? He says, when you pray, say, Father. While it's not true that Jesus was the first to call God Father, you see it in the book of Exodus where God calls the children of Israel children, implying that he's their father. You see some quotes in Isaiah where it indicates God has fatherly qualities. Jesus was the first, it seems, to emphasize God as Father, to draw it out and to give Father center stage. I think it's interesting because in responding, how do we pray, he doesn't here call God king as though we are merely subjects or to say master as though we are slaves or friend as though we are equals nor even as teacher as though we are primarily students and it's about knowledge. Of course, all of those aspects of God are in Scripture, including many others we could mention. Creator, Mother, Redeemer. They're all biblical. They have their place. But the God who Jesus knows is a Father. John Cobb, in his book, Jesus Abba, says this. The normal relation of the father to the infant is one of tenderness and unconditional love. And it was unconditional love, I want to suggest, rather than, and this is what we need to hear, because I don't know that we've yet purged this from our mental and spiritual map. It is unconditional love rather than controlling power that dominated Jesus' understanding of God. I think this is so significant. It's significant on a psychological level and very much in alignment with the best in psychological theory, the attachment theory that is being understood in recent years where there is this critical bonding and mirroring relationship between parent point out my daughter there, and child, bonding, mirroring between caregiver and child, and certainly this idea of father to child applies. It's primary. 
And what I want us to see and think about for just a minute is that I wanted to shift your mental map because I think most of us have a different mental map of God. That we think of God primarily as a scary divine power broker. Now maybe that's not true for you and that's okay and I'd love to hear your feedback. But we see with this metal map one who wants to control our lives rather than as a compassionate giver as Jesus saw God. And this is the reason he could call him Abba, Father, Daddy. So my question right now at this point is in the last day, two days, week, two weeks, how much of the resourcefulness of your own spirit have you brought before the gaze of the Father and for you to gaze upon the Father. I don't think there's anything more fundamental and more necessary in all of life. And I think to skip past this address as though it is very familiar, which it is, and yet it's still sometimes distant from us is to miss what the disciples saw when they said, teach us to pray. Pay attention to who you are praying to. And I would suggest that at times if you prayed nothing more your entire prayer for a few seconds for a few minutes for even longer was simply Father that would be enough and it would bring about the right transformation in your life. Do you realize that we get to address the same God that Jesus addressed? What? What? Do you know the God that Jesus knows? It was an awakening for me when I first thought about it that way. I don't want to know just any God. I don't even know if I want to say I just want to know the God of the Bible. For the simple reason that's a bit hard to sort out sometimes. What I want 
most is the God that Jesus knows. Well, in this gaze upon God, then we move and it says, holy is your name. And, and that is a comment regarding God with the utmost respect. More than respect. I believe it is praying, make your name stand out in my life and in this world. And while Father no doubt conveys closeness and intimacy, holy is your name, counters any over-familiarity and any temptation to make this God into our image or through our filter or even through our own father figures and father filters that may be less than who God is. Because it is saying, God, you are like no other. Well, I've spoken about 10, 12 minutes probably, and that was just the first word. I'll speed it up a little. There are three things in this text. The first one is address. Addressing God as Father. The second is align. That is prioritize God's agenda. So what happens next in the text after Father, hallowed be your name, it says, your kingdom come. This begins with and affirms God's plans, not our plans. And it prioritizes God's way over our viewpoint in order for the world to run. It seems to me that when we fail to pray, we forget God's big story of redemption and transformation and desire that all people know the Trinity and be, be, come under the kingdom for the kingdom to run. But when we do pray this prayer, the way that it's outlined, the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that it will redirect our prayers so they are not consumed by our agenda, our plans, our wants, our needs. We learn that while God cares about our concerns, we find greater well-being and fulfillment when we adopt his agenda. Suggesting here is by praying the prayer this way, we give way to God's way. And we do it now. We do it right in this moment, right in the moment when we're praying, in the present tense. Asking God's kingdom to come now is to ask our life to be ready and cooperating with the king and his ways. Do you think repentance is in this passage? It's all over it. It's all over it. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're going about your business. Change your priorities. Allow them, align them with God without even mentioning repentance. That is the result of asking your kingdom come. 
It's the reason I suggested the prayer is about resetting. Resetting. All right, we address God as Father. We align. See how they both started with A? We align with His priorities. The third thing is when we ask. Given that background, we can ask freely. We can ask, as Kate said, and she didn't read the words on the screen. Uh, she read the one on the NIV in her Bible, and there are different translations of the NIV. It said boldly. We can ask boldly. Okay, well, getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there are a lot of other ways that this passage unveils how to ask. I'll get to that in just a minute. But we, we ask first for daily bread. That's a throwback to the children of Israel, promising manna was promised in the desert wanderings. So to ask for daily bread then includes all the basics of your life. It includes food. It includes clothing. It includes shelter. Many of us are so well stocked that we miss both the power of the request and the provision that God promises to make right here. And so again, we're connected like a mother who nourishes her child and nurtures her child. So God takes care of his children. And there's more in this passage. When we ask, there's spiritual bread, and that is forgiveness. Receiving forgiveness and forgiving others is daily spiritual maintenance. It's like doing the dishes. In a way, we don't want to necessarily talk about it all the time. There are other things in life. But if you've got something out of line with somebody else, square it up. Don't leave the dishes in the sink. Allowing God to clean your heart and relationship. If not, what happens is we become overburdened and we become resentful and vengeful. Sometimes we, we just collect stuff. And a lot of it is not that good. It's unhelpful and unhealthy. And it quickly can tear down others. We, we, we can leach out this poison into our ecosystem. And this prayer is saying, deal with it now. That's why I'm suggesting it's a daily reset. Okay, so there were three basic points in this first part of the prayer, a little different from Matthew's gospel. And then Jesus tells two stories that Kate read for us. The first is about this man who knocks on the door of his neighbor in the middle of the night. And this guy is, some translations would say persistent. Others say he's shameless. Okay, he throws out all normal etiquette in the way that he's knocking. And the story is telling us to ask God shamelessly, to ask persistently, asking in keeping with the fact that God is Father and his, that his kingdom has priorities, step into that goodness. Then the second story is which one of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, 
will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion. It's interesting, this passage begins, well the passage begins with Father. The Father is the one we now ask. The Father is the one on whose door we ask. We ask the Father because the Father is good. That is the point of the story. The God that Jesus knows is the good, good Father. It's being reinforced about four times in these three, 13 verses. And in our time when many have lost confidence in God, and I, I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe you've even found yourself really disappointed with God. Maybe some of you right now are dealing with unanswered prayer It's been the case for months and years and years. And with this endless cycle of brokenness that is in our world, you feel the weight of that. So I have some fears. One is that in your familiarity you will dismiss Jesus' teaching too quickly. And the second is that in the depths of your own soul you will resist this prayer as simply one of many constructs for God. And I, I'm not going to be happy. As if it matters, my happiness, right? But I'm saying, I want to be happy. And I would be happy if you prayed Jesus' prayer. Let it inform your prayer. Let it shape you. Not for my happiness, but for the well-being of your own heart. And when we pray this way, God's good reputation is on the line. I want us to see one more verse, verse 13, because it almost feels like an outlier in this whole section. It says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father? Okay, the very first verse was about the father. The man knocking on the door was trying to get to the father. The story about a good father will give the right things to his children, wouldn't give him a scorpion or a snake. And now I want you to see this. Even though you're evil, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, and guess what the father gives? He gives the Holy Spirit... Have you noticed that before? He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You may have some unanswered prayers, but there is one prayer that will not go unanswered. 
when you ask God, he will give more of himself to you. Let's stand and look at the summary. Here it is. Come on, go ahead and stand up, church. Here it is. Reset. Address God as Father. Align. Prioritize God's agenda. And ask. Don't hold back in making your needs known. All right. If you're like the story at the beginning of the sermon and you've made a mess of things, start over. Follow these instructions. And thank you, Jesus, for teaching us.